America. My name is Ayumi Osei Frimpong. I come to you live every Friday about this time to talk about the issues of the day and to do so with a kind of philosophical context so that you won't squander your life because that's very important to me and that it will, and I try to do so in a way that'll make black people whole, which is also very important to me because I, not only am I black, I would like to be whole. And the topic of the day is how um, we've kind of made racism, American racism, not an American problem, but a black problem. And that's a problem uh, because in order to actually be made whole, we're gonna have to go to work on white people. We need to work on white people. We have the Moynihan Report, which is, you know, fascinating, came out a few decades back about how, you know, the black family is the problem. And we have all these things about the black family and then, and, and, you know, black life, but nothing about what's screwed up about, uh, you know, white people that makes, that like reap systematically uh, produces terrorists, right? I don't think that white people are born terrorists. I don't think that it's a genetic thing. I think that we have institutions that make them this way. And we're not, and in some ways it's kind of, uh, it's good for the GDP. So like we don't, and you know, they have a lot of guns. So nobody's ever actually said like, stop being a terrorist. But I think if we're actually serious about racism, we have to not make racism a black problem. We have to make it, we have to understand it as it properly is, properly is, that is an American problem. It is an American problem that it's disproportionately felt on black uh, bodies while we give white people a holiday from it as they run off to their suburb. That's what they pay for. By the way, you know, real estate agents, they sell distance from America's problems. They sell, they sell distance from black people's problems. They're like, well, you know, you know, we're not racist. We just don't want to have to deal with black people's problems. And so can you get us? And we'll pay for that. And that's how systemic racism works. Right? So uh, now, Real estate agents don't talk like this. Real estate agents talk like this lady. This lady's a local real estate agent who I adore because she uh, is all of them. Athens is not Minneapolis. Athens is not Baltimore. Athens is not Atlanta. We do not have systemic racism here. Athens is not Minneapolis. Athens is not Baltimore. Athens is not Atlanta. We do not have systemic racism here. Athens is... You know, you just got to know that if you don't get it's you need to give me uh, five, 15 or 50 dollars a month, because if you don't get your political insight here, these are <laughs> that woman's daughter is probably teaching your kids in school. So that's a problem. Right. So that's one reason why you should kick in five, 15 or 50 dollars a month here, because I don't think she's going to give me a job because I try to play that clip every time I feel some sort of way about, you know, the work we have to do on white people, but also because depending on who you talk to, I make myself down white unemployable by doing this work I do every, every week. But we have to think about, and this is something Marissa Badran, the woman who wrote The Color of Money, um, kind of wrote in like a, a throwaway paragraph, but it was really, it was really good. We have housing, we have a policy, housing policy and, and, and labor policy that's pretty much figured out a way to make America's race problem that was born in America that that was institutionalized through American laws. We've made that into a black problem. So we've concentrated this problem um, in the bodies of black people and given everyone else a holiday from that problem. And it's the equivalent of a tax break. So we've taxed, like black people now have an ex extra responsibility to deal with this problem and everyone else gets a tax holiday. I think 
I'm not for that distribution of, of public burden. And so um, this show is going to be about how, like all of the different ways we've made America's race problem into a black problem as a, and, as a means of giving white people a holiday because we don't want to ask them to actually change anything about themselves, right? We don't want to admit that like they come from terrorists and that they were taught terrorism and they were taught elitism and they've normalized into a quality of sociopathy, sociopathy that's not really uh, productive of justice or meaning in their lives, which is why you know a lot of them screw up with their kids and and um, are surprised when their you know kids end up being openly sociopathic or. Um, you know, don't really have meaning in their lives because they can't look at it too much because if you look at it too much and you want meaning in your life, you're going to have to not only do things like kick me five, fifteen, or $50 a month in funkyacademic.com, you have to actually like study meaning in your life and you're going to have to get rid of some of the entitlements that you hold so dear. And white people do like their entitlements. So um, this show is going to be about how we've made America's race problem a black problem. And it should be, and, and strategies to think through how to make it America's problem. The show came to me this last weekend when I heard a, um, uh, a piece on the radio about this black family center that's trying to strengthen black families against racism and you know support black families against racism, make them more resilient. And I'm like, I don't know if I need more resilient black families. We got John Henryism going on in black people. That's John Henry is the guy who tried to beat the black guy who tried to, um, you know, he's a steel driving man. He tried to beat machines in um, in laying track and said like he could do it as a machine could do it, just like a, and and you know at the end he, he might have beat the machine, but he he also had a heart attack. We have John Henryism um, running through black males. We don't last very long. And I I was telling you know the world a few minutes ago that when I talk to my kids, I pretty much talk to them as if I don't know if I'm going to live it past fifty. I could get taken out so many different ways. I could stroke out. My heart could explode. Um, I could get taken out. I, who knows? So when I talk to them, I talk to them as if, like, this is it. They're going to have to know. And one of the reasons I do the show is actually the legacy to my kids. So when I'm, if I expire, they can go on YouTube and find me. I might last longer, once again, if you kick on five, fifteen, dollars or $50 a month. But, um, you know, I have a lot of knowledge to get out to them so if you're watching this sit your kids down because they're, they're going to learn something um so how have we made america's race problem a black problem and and what kind of injustice does that heap on i already alluded to dmx dying when he was he died today uh 50 years old you know i, I grew up with dmx like on the radio, so he's in my mind. And uh, that's just black life. My dad's dead. I I'm starting to exercise again, so I, I, like, I don't want to die of natural causes too early, but it's very stressful doing this, exactly, like, you know, telling the truth about white people to you. Um, and I'm really going to get into a day because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take on NPR and black people who think they're trying to do good work, but they're really just part of the grift. Um, and so... You know, that's not the, that's not, it's important work, but you know, not the most healthful. But after, so after, I'm going to play the opening, then after that I play the opening, I'm going to play a five minute clip from, uh, that I heard this weekend about this, um, 
organization at my university that's trying to strengthen black families to make them more resilient against white racism. But we don't, and then like all of the kind of dubious presuppositions about what the struggle for justice looks like and how we just kind of let white families off the hook. Like we need white families to produce fewer violent racists. Um, you know, but the, uh, the, but anyway, let me hit the opening. To the beach, Never change the ways for the world or the government. If it was the president, then I would state facts. You leave it up to me, I'll paint the White House black and it can feature in your front. And we are back. So, uh, yeah, there's, I was, you know, minding my own business, probably carting my kids somewhere or doing something that I don't do when I'm here. And I heard this on the radio. And I must have been in the car because that's the only time I listen to the radio. And we were going to the park. Yeah, let's my kids to the park, listening to the radio. And I heard this come on, and I, you know, I had a lot of thoughts about it. So I'm going to play it for you. It's five whole minutes, but since it's the internet, I can just play the whole thing. And then we're going to talk about how this black family problem makes America's problem a black problem. And I am not about that life. So... Uh, sit back, gather around, and we're going to talk about this because this is some problematic stuff. Uh, yes. A study conducted by UGA researchers found that family-centered prevention programs, like the Strong African American Families Program, can promote positive mental health in black youth even when exposed to racial discrimination. Jessica Wurst has details about how these programs work to advance the well-being of African American families. Racial discrimination is a trauma like no other for everyone who experiences it. And studies show that African-American youth who experience discrimination are at a high risk for poor mental health, even after they grow up. Dr. Llewellyn Cornelius, the Donald L. Hallowell Professor of Civil Rights Studies and the Director of the Center for Social Justice, Human and Civil Rights, says that when we think about combating the negative effects of trauma, we need to keep in mind that racism is systemic and multi-generational. You have this thing called trauma-informed care that we are talking a lot about. And for especially African-American youth, we have to think about the effects of racism, uh, the Jim Crow era and all those elements on multi-generational things. So when we think about Athens, we think about families who lived in the same communities for generations and can talk about living places where their great-great ancestors were sharecroppers. So when we talk about trauma-informed care, it isn't just about the negative things that happened in our family system, as it relates particularly to African-American youth, we're, we're also balancing that out with the issue of, of, of racism and its effects in American society. Cornelius says a way to pivot this issue involves empowerment. Now, when we talk about pivoting the issue, a lot of our space is around resiliency, empowerment, and, and empowerment models and self-liberation. The Strong African-American Families Program, also known as SAFE, and the SAFE Teen Program work to do just that, 
empower African-American families, and reduce the negative impacts of racism on black youth. FAKE is for pre-adolescents, ages 10 to 12. We also have another program for ages 15 and 16, which is like FAKE, but for kids who are older. That was Jean Brody, founder and director of UGA's Center for Family Research, which houses these programs. During the 1990s, it became really apparent to me that there were a few, if any, prevention programs that were designed to enhance protective family caregiving among black youth in the rural South. Tracy Anderson, the assistant director of the Center for Family Research, says they operate based on four core values, strengths orientation, when we think about a strengths orientation, we're focusing on what people do well and understanding that the resources to solve most issues and concerns really do lie within the individual. Collectivism. Understanding that unity and purpose and helping one another fosters healthy families and communities. The idea that we are all in this together. Shared ownership. The lived experiences of African-American families are relevant and valuable. And social justice. So we understand that spaces must be created, have to be created for historically marginalized communities to be able to come into a place and talk about what their experiences are and to get understanding or just to not be judged and to get encouragement that we are in this thing together and we can make it together because we're supporting each other. With open discussions and activities, these programs use a variety of strategies to help young African-Americans and their caregivers respond to instances of racism. We're talking about some ways of responding to racism. And as we're going through this with the caregivers and talking about their experiences, also having them think about how they respond to racism, they are also teaching their children how to respond. Anderson says every session ends on a positive note where the group focuses on the many strengths of being African-American. So we do a youth creed or a teen creed. In those sessions, we have a caregiver creed and a family creed. And these are just affirmations about the strengths about being African-American and we can make a difference in the world and we are strong and we are proud and we you know, love our children, we want the best for them. So we recite those creeds at the end of every session. For Athens News Matters, I'm Jessica Worst. A study conducted by. So Athens has a problem. Uh, UGA's got a problem. Anytime you're good for uh, some money, because Georgia's the third block and it's the flagship university. So anytime there's a lot of money that gets thrown around on programs to make black people work on themselves in response to white sociopaths, right? So that's, that's like, like, you know, you know, you've heard that, uh, you've heard that, uh, you know, trillion dollar buying power or whatever. All of that, that information comes out of UGA, that, uh, the C-League Center in, in UGA. It would like, and it's complete garbage. It's, it's, it's the idea that if black people spend better, like somehow we would be white people. It's just, it's ridiculous. It, our money, our problem isn't spending. Our problem is that we're making $10, $12 an hour. Um, and some people not even that for over the course of a lifetime doing backbreaking jobs, if we have a job at all. I like, like that's our problem. 
So it's not it's not a saving. If you're making twelve dollars an hour and you can buy Jordans, go ahead and buy Jordans. That twelve dollars will never be a down payment. Because as soon as you save enough for a down payment, like your car is gonna break down and it's gonna go there anyway. So you might as well just get your Jordans. And that's not news you're gonna hear anywhere else. That's why, once again, you should go to www.funkyacademic.com and kick in five, fifteen, or fifty dollars a month for me because um because you know it's it's yeah I, I like i don't i don't know there's a lot of nonsense out there it's propaganda and unfortunately if like uga is the place where if you want to study the, there was a big grant that one of our people got um in a different department that got to study like the effect of gratitude about and how poor people just need to be more grateful and then they would be happy as if like no they would need they, <laughs> Poor people need money and steady income, and they would be happy. Uh, that's as if they need more gratitude than cash, right? So there's this idea that the best way uh, to promote black mental health is to fix black people. But no, the best way to promote black mental health is to make better white people. They talked about self-liberation in that um in that in that excerpt we're going to teach self-liberation there is no such thing as self-liberation i didn't put myself in jail i i like liberation is going to come through taking what's ours and being able to hold it yeah there, yeah, there is no such self-liberation is ridiculous as it's self-liberation pretends that black people imprison themselves that the problem is our mindset the problem isn't our mindset the problem is capital the problem is capital. And so far as you have a problem with mindset, the problem is you've been trained not to fight white people. Like, black people don't get justice without fighting white people, so you're gonna have to fight white people. Like, I don't know if you, like this whole, like, you know, we are all in it together. No, they're not all in it together. One out of every seven white families is a million, worth a million dollars. One out of every 45 uh, white fa black families is worth a million dollars. That means that even your poor white family is going to like, hold out because maybe they can get a job that pays well with a rich white family right so this idea that like black people can be capitalists um if we just change our mindset even though we don't have access to capital and real access to capital not this 1400 um um uh a stimulus no real access to capital is thirty thousand dollars to spend and lose actually you know white people have so much money they have a hard time spending it and th this is not even like, of in the upper 40, 40th percentile of, of, of white people, you know, um, yeah, so the top 15% are just straight up millionaires. The top 40 know that they're going to inherit from millionaires. So uh, they just have a hard time actually turning money into meaning. I'm always surprised when they do. That's why I'm not, I don't feel that bad. If you're white and you're watching this, you should just kick in, give me money because uh, I will turn it into meaning in a way that you are just not both intellectually or attitudinally uh, of, like capable of doing. It'll go to my budgeting budget, it'll go to my uh, you know, marketing budget, it'll go to other things. So what, um, what else was problematic in that video? I made notes, because that's what I do for the people. Resilience, that our problem is resilience. No, our problem is not resilience, our problem is white people. We need a Moynihan report on the white family because it's screwing up the entire nation and stressing everybody else out, not to mention putting no small number of black men in cages. So our problem isn't black family resilience, it's white sociopathology. Like we're plenty tough, 
Um, yeah. Right. So also black family empowerment. Like there is no empowerment that doesn't come from actually securing stuff that white people think is theirs, including their entitlements of respect. There is no, there is no empowerment when you're home, but then go outside and you're kissing white ass or you're scared to tell the truth to white people. If you're alienating yourself from the truth to make people, other white people feel good, then um, like you, there is no empowerment until the only empowerment that's going to come is going to come from getting the step, like, the backbone to tell the truth about white people to white people. The problem is it's going to be hard to um, it's going to be hard to sustain a job after that. But you know you'll have yourself. You'll have meaning in your life, right? So the problem isn't resilience. Um, the the problem with black families isn't resilience. It's the stress of dealing with. Uh, on America that's targeting us for disposal or subordination, subhumanity, right? So black families don't have any problems that can't be fixed by fixing white families. <laughs> we live in a dangerous neighborhood. That neighborhood is America. We need to fix America um, so that we can be free, right? So this is an American problem. The resources, and then they also say, well, we, you know, we teach. These are black people who get paid to teach other black people not to uh, bother white people. And they get paid by white people to teach black people not that justice doesn't come through getting your fair share from white people. I have a problem because justice is going to come from getting your fair share from white people. Right? So uh, she says, well, you know, we teach that resources uh, lie within the individual. Well, no, your resources do not lie within the individual. I found out that Bill Gates' mom, and you can look her up on, on the YouTube. Just put in Bill Gates' mom. Uh, her name is Mary Maxwell Gates. I'm going to read directly from the Wikipedia page. So Mary Maxwell Gates was uh, the, uh, on the board of directors from the United, on the, of the United Way, becoming the first woman to lead it in 1983. Her tenure on the board's executive committee is believed to have helped Microsoft, based in Seattle, at a crucial time. In 1980, she discussed her son's company with John Opel, a fellow committee member, and the chairman of International Business Machine Corporation. You might have heard of him. It goes by IBM. So Bill Gates' mom is having lunch with um, uh, the head, the chairman of the board of IBM. Your mom isn't going to be in that lunch. Your mom's going to be cleaning up after that lunch. My mom is going to be, you know, a nurse in the hospital uh, <laughs> when they come in. Like, they're not going to be at that lunch because that's for, um, uh, you know, society people. So Bill Gates' mom is at that lunch with the chairman of IBM in 1980. Opal himself says... Um, that he mentioned Mrs. Gates to other IBM executives. And a few weeks later, IBM took a chance on hiring Microsoft, quote, then a small software firm to develop an operating system for their first computer, for its first computer. So you got, and you know, the operating system that Microsoft got, DOS, wasn't the greatest operating system. It wasn't particularly user friendly. So IBM actually got a lemon. 
because um, Bill Gates stole DOS from somebody else, sold it to IBM, and was like, and he got that from his mom. So there's no amount of hustling or mindset or resilience that makes you Bill Gates' mom, right? And you know how you become Bill Gates' mom? You marry Bill Gates' dad, who was a big deal um, intellectual property lawyer. So you get the operating system because your dad's an intellectual property lawyer who teaches you how to raid other people's intellectual property and then defends against you. There's another article about Bill Gates' dad getting him legal counsel in the 70s um, and um, getting him like hiring, like hiring legal counsel for Bill out of his dad's own firm because his dad is an intellectual property guy. So like all of the legal counsel of Microsoft was like laundered through Bill Gates Sr.'s firm. So, um, but you get to be a lady who lunches with IBM executives by being the big deal intellectual property of lawyer's wife, who then is now a society wife, right? And doing what society wives do. So what you have to understand is that this isn't about resiliency. It's about getting us like a fair share. There's no amount of hustle that, that gets you that kind of legacy. There is no amount of hustle that gets you that kind of legacy. So Bill Gates' wife, and like, you should just look this up. Maxine, uh, Mary Maxine Gates. Mary Maxwell Gates got Bill Gates a contract with IBM. I don't know, that, that happened, right? So we need to be honest about that and what that means, right? We just need to be honest about that and what all of that means when we tell black men to hustle harder. And, I, and, like, and we don't want them to end up in an early grave like DMX. Because what that ends up doing is creating a lot of failures who then go around and blame themselves, turn around and blame themselves. A lot of failures and a lot of divorces because people end up thinking that like, they have white aspirations and black skin and that, uh, that's just gonna end in divorce. Um, so, um, you know, in the, at the, in the NPR piece, she said, we always like to end on a positive note. Look, the only positive note that's worth ending on is that we can take their stuff, stuff that they think is theirs. We can, by right, take their stuff. We can take over public institutions and actually reform them to tell the truth about white people to white people. We can actually do that. We have the truth is on our side. That's the only positive note there is. This whole idea that resources lie within the individual, that you can, in I can't even individually fund this show. I need you to fund this show for me so I can help you. We need to do this together. It's not within the individual. I need your money. So go ahead and go to www.funkyacademic.com and kick in. Because, like, that's how this works. There is no, there is no we. I mean, there is no I that gets things done in a successful, meaningful way. There is only we. So I also need you to share this video with everybody else. Um, because, you know, these programs, because, you know, the rich people fund the programs to get black people to tell other black people to blame themselves and to take the stink off of white people and, like, what white supremacy actually means. So instead of actually addressing racism, they want to make black people somehow bulletproof against racism, which it doesn't work at a community level. And, you know, there's this great study um, about black people, middle class black people who live around white people and how in some ways, like they had certain health outcomes that were worse than poor black people because the stress of living around white people. 
<laughs> because uh, if you're a middle class, you lived around white people. So they had the stress of living around white people, which mean like which had um, deleterious effects on their, on their on their health. Right. So eat salad, drink water, and you know secure justice for our people, make our people whole. By the way, I think I might be one of the only people who called the Bessemer, Alabama. The, uh, Amazon got route the the workers in Bessemer, Alex, uh, um, uh, um, Alabama got slaughtered in this election against Amazon. And everyone's saying, like, well, you know, this could happen, and this would be historic if it happened. And I'm the one saying, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen for a few different reasons. It's <laughs> one of, like, for a variety of reasons. But, uh, but I'm also the guy who says, I bet I can make slaves um, vote to stay on the plantation. And the way I would make slaves vote to stay on the plantation is to say, like, look, We'll let you be free, but just know that once you're free, you're not going to be able to own any land. You're not going to be, you're going to end up working for the master and the master is going to be resentful of what you did. And the master is not going to protect you from other masters because now you kind of have a little bit of protection from, from other masters by your master. They don't respect you, but they might respect your master. Then that goes away. And also the serf is going to be on the master's side. <laughs> the sheriff and the judiciary, all of that's going to be on the master side. So do you want all do you want that? And you can't leave. Do you want that? Or do you want slavery? No small amount of people on that plantation would pick slavery. Uh, the devil you know, right? So Amazon might have you peeing in bottles to make sure you get your shift on time, but it's the devil you know. You have your little bit of economic freedom because the wages are what, like $15 an hour. You have a little bit of economic freedom, you just don't have bathroom freedom or dignity in the workplace, but you have concrete, though underdeveloped freedom, economic freedom, and what they were voting for is some sort of abstract political freedom, the power to form a union that would then just go um, negotiate, and, and that's just while earning the enmity of everyone involved, and that's just not something that people, and under a hostile government, that's not going to get you back. So elections aren't magic. Elections don't solve political problems in a vacuum any more than marriage solves relationships problems in a vacuum or entrepreneurship solves like <laughs> economic problems in a vacuum. No, like th these are particular institutions that work within a system and like if they work well within the system, the system can be made just. But just throwing an election at a problem like, like slave conditions in Bessemer, Alabama, it's the only job in town, uh, you know, that'll hire black people. So is is really naive and i think a lot of people knew that who tried to pretend that um this was the way certification union certification elections are never the way no you just like it needs to be automatic automatic certification they should be able to pick which union they 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 join not whether like they want a chance negotiating with their boss one-on-one -on -one versus negotiating as a group Thank you for your time, and I will see you next week. Remember, racism is an American problem. Don't let them make you make it a black problem. It's an American problem. That means we need to go after white families, white institutions, white churches, white jobs, white politicians, all institutions of discretion that white people run that end up not working, that black people have to participate in um, because they are American institutions. Those are the institutions we need to change. Right? Don't let them make America's problem a black problem. We need to go on the offensive and be honest about it. We need a Moynihan report on the white family. We need to make better white families. Peace.